Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm B.J. Tanksley, State Legislative Director. If you were not able to join us for the virtual commodity conference this year, this is the opportunity to listen to Session 4, in which Darren Haslag with the, with the Missouri State Highway Patrol visits us a little bit about rural crime. When I first came to Missouri Farm Bureau, I was working in southeast Missouri, and rural crimes was a major issue. This is a great opportunity to listen to Officer Haslag talk about what the state highway patrol and local jurisdictions are doing to combat rural crime across the state of Missouri. If you would like to see the full video of the Commodity Conference, it's available at mofb.org backslash events backslash commodity. All right, good evening. Thank you for joining us with the fourth session of our virtual Commodity Conference. We're sorry we can't see you in person, but uh, do appreciate you being on our, uh, our virtual Commodity Conference this evening. People are participating this evening in three different ways, with Zoom, with a conference call, or with Facebook Live. We are also recording each session, uh, so if you're not able to uh, uh, listen to all of it, you can go back and pick up the recording, and that will be, uh, you can find that, and the web address is mofb.org forward slash event forward slash commodity. Uh, and we'll leave that up and uh, advertise that and hopefully get a lot of people that who may or may not be able to join us this evening to be able to watch later on. Uh, if you're watching by Zoom, you can ask a question at any time by uh, pressing or clicking on the question and answer tab and uh, typing in the question. Uh, if you're calling in by telephone, press star nine on your phone and this will tell us if you're interested in asking a question. And uh, when we get to you in the queue, we'll uh, unmute your phone and you can ask a question. If you do that, uh, please let us know your name and county. Uh, we'll, uh, to begin session number four, we're happy to have Missouri Farm Bureau's two ambassadors and uh, Promotion and Education uh, Director Jennifer Poindexter is going to introduce them. So I will turn the screen over to Jennifer. Take it away, Jennifer. Thanks, Blake. 2020 has been an unprecedented, unprecedented year for everyone. The ambassadors have been no exception. Here to introduce themselves to you as members is Chloe Mumford and Ben Lubring. Chloe? Good evening, everyone. Like Jennifer said, my name is Chloe Mumford. I'm originally from Troy, Missouri, Lincoln County area. I am going into my third year at Mizzou, majoring in animal sciences, and my plan is to be a food animal veterinarian. Thank you. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Ben Lubering and I'm from Osage County and reside in St. Thomas. Um, I'm currently entering my last semester at Mizzou where I'm studying agribusiness management and minoring in animal science. Uh, and upon graduation, I plan to return home to my family's farm where we raise hogs, cattle, and row crops. I'm very excited for the remainder of the year as an ambassador and hope that uh, Things change a little bit so we can get out and meet some of you wonderful people. All right. Well, thank you, Chloe and Ben. We, and uh, we, we really, uh, there have been a lot of things lost in this, uh, in this uh, year of the pandemic. And one of them has been the chance to uh, get to know and spend time with the ambassadors. But we will be taking them to uh, Washington, D.C. next spring. And we appreciate uh, their willingness to work with us in any way they can during the pandemic. 
so this evening we're going to have a presentation on real crime, and we are really pleased to have Dar Darren Haslig uh, with the Murray Hi Missouri Highway Patrol uh, here to make that presentation. And we're going to switch seats so he can use this screen, and uh, we look forward to hearing uh, from Mr. Haslig. All right, hello everyone. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a, a background on myself. My name is Darren Hoslog. I'm a Sergeant with the Missouri State Highway Patrol. I've been with the Highway Patrol for 19 years. For the previous nine years, I've been assigned to our Division of Drug and Crime Control. Uh, for a lot of people that don't know what our Division of Drug and Crime Control is, uh, it's actually the investigative branch of the Highway Patrol. Uh, we are tasked with assisting cities and counties with investigations for numerous reasons, they may uh, just lack manpower. They may have, uh, we may have special training that we assist them in. Um, we uh, sometimes just bring more people to the table, um, honestly, uh, for some of the cash uh, uh, short counties that, that uh, need additional manpower. We also do special investigations for the patrol, which is uh, anything that would involve a conflict of interest for the county or city that we would be helping in. Um, we have several divisions within the patrol, but one of them in particular is our Rural Crimes Investigative Unit. Uh, we assist cities and counties with agricultural-based crimes. Uh, I am not currently a Rural Crimes Investigator. I'm filling in for a gentleman who actually got called out to a homicide up north in Missouri, but I did spend about two and a half, almost three years in rural crimes here a few years ago. Um, so I am knowledgeable of it. I've given several presentations on rural crimes and still active in rural crimes investigations when they do occur. So uh, we're going to go through the PowerPoint. If you have any questions, you, you, you've been instructed how to get those over to me. I'll answer what I can. Um, and uh, I think at the end, we'll open it up for some questions as well or some open forums. So uh, we'll go ahead and go through the PowerPoint real quick. Okay, uh, the Rural Crimes Investigative Unit, like I explained before, works in conjunction with the Governor's Livestock and Farm Protection Task Force. This unit consists of nine different investigators located throughout the state, and we have a criminal intelligence analyst uh, that works in our MIAC that tracks uh, crime trends, uh, helps put out bulletins, um, basically is the go-between uh, between counties and investigators uh, when there's a trend of a particular crime that goes on. And then they also run intelligence for us when we need to know something about a person, a vehicle, uh, a registered uh, plate on something, uh, various things like that. So um, this is some of the uh, organizations that are a part of it. As you see, Farm Bureau is, uh, Cattlemen's Associ Association, MU, uh, Missouri Department of Agricultural, uh, the uh, Missouri Department of Public Safety, Sheriff's Association, ourselves, USDA, and Missouri Pork Producers. Uh, just a little breakdown on rural crimes and why it's so important and why this, this uh, division was originally put in place. Uh, so far since our inception, uh, we have worked 2,967 rural crimes incidents. Uh, that's probably changed even since this PowerPoint's been put together. Uh, we've made 643 arrests during those investigations, and this is the big number here, and I know this is climbing every, every day. It's $18.5 million in property recovered during our investigations. So, uh, very needed needed asset. It's kind of hard to tell in this PowerPoint right here, but this breaks down some of our regions. Um, I, in particular, was a part of the central region, which is kind of a yellow color on that map. Um, the, the, the units have changed a little bit. Mine used to be uh, 13 counties. I, I'm not sure what it's up to now, but we took on some of the lower counties there uh, in, in the central region. But there's an investigator based in every one of these regions within the state of Missouri. So, uh, some of the crimes that we work, here's just a few of the examples, animal cruelty, arson. I've worked a lot of arsons, 
burglaries and theft. That's one of the most prominent ones. Uh, chemical theft, equipment theft, fraud. Uh, we have fuel theft, grain theft, livestock theft, metal theft. Uh, we have property damage. And I actually was involved in several. A lot of people wouldn't think it would happen that often, but timber theft, people going on and cutting, cutting marketable timber off people's property. So uh, just a few stats uh, that they put together in the PowerPoint we'll talk about. Only 21% of stolen equipment in the United States was recovered in 2016. So when we do get a theft, we're not necessarily the most successful at, at getting a lot of that back. Uh, but we do, um, we, do, uh, we do give it all of our attention and, and uh, we are able to track down. Usually if, we, if we're able to bust up a theft ring, we end up recovering an awful lot of property at one time. So... Uh, law enforcement agencies often do not possess resources and personnel needed to combat to real crime. It's a big reason why we exist. We can actually come in and specialize that. Many counties are tasked with uh, maybe their deputies take a rural crimes related call and then they go and have to work a domestic and then they may have to work a uh, assist on a crash on one of their county roads. And so they're stretched thin in a lot of different ways. And we actually have investigators that are able to work uh, specifically on rural crimes, which is uh, awful helpful when you're trying to solve these problems. So uh, crime series spread across large areas involving multiple jurisdictions. Uh, that is specifically important for our unit to be a part of uh, because um, I worked many thefts that I attended uh, intelligence meetings around Troop F. And so we would have some of our Southern counties that wouldn't necessarily know what was going on in our Northern counties. Well, unfortunately, criminals don't really care about county lines. And so they commit the thefts and the, and the crimes across county lines. And we're kind of a way to bridge that gap between counties and enable them to talk to each other and uh, be knowledgeable what, what's going on in the other ones. So of 114 counties, I think we've listed 101 of them are categorized as rural uh, through the federal government's definition. So it's uh, primarily a rural state, as you, as you all know. So um, talk about paying attention to rural crimes and why it's so important. Uh, we, we all know about what happens when a, when a bank is robbed in Missouri. We generally get the guys with the three letters on the back of their jackets come out and help, and we send the cavalry into a bank robbery. A lot of people don't know what the average bank robbery is, and I would just question you or ask you to think about that uh, in your home or wherever you're viewing this PowerPoint at is what do you think the, the average bank robbery is? Then you start looking at what do you think the average cattle theft is when compared to the bank robbery, um, and we'll put all these totals up here soon. Also, uh, think to yourself what the average copper theft is from electric co-op or an asphalt plant or a quarry or an ag-based business? Uh, what does it cost the materials? And then what does it actually cost to fix the uh, equipment that's damaged from the, from the uh, metal theft that occurs? And then lastly, the average ag agricultural fraud investigation. So we'll go to the next slide and have the answers to that. Bank robbery, average bank robbery is $3,500. So you can think about the amount of resources that we put to a bank robbery at a $3,500 total. But then you look at a cattle theft, what's an average cattle theft cost? Uh, 18,500 is the average cattle theft. So you can see why when you put it in perspective and into these numbers, uh, why rural, rural crime and rural investigations are so important. $50,000 for an average metal, uh, metal theft and an ag fraud case can average up to a million dollars. So. Uh, cattle livestock in Missouri, uh, although Missouri produces a variety of livestock, its largest livestock industry is cattle and calf production for the nation's beef market. Uh, cattle livestock theft, statewide totals for cattle theft are unknown. It's very hard to track because cattle theft incidents are recorded by law enforcement agencies that investigate them. Sometimes they don't necessarily pass that, 
data or that information up to a centralized agency. Uh, and a lot of cattle theft actually, unfortunately, goes un, unreported. Um, so it's hard to tell exactly what our cattle theft impact is in the state of Missouri. What's some things we can do to stop some of this crime um, and particularly cattle theft in our state? Uh, naturally gated driveways. I've interviewed many thieves in, in jails and prisons around the state. And the two things they primarily told me when they're looking at stealing from a property is, is if it has gates and if it has cameras, they stay away from it. So I recommend, I've got a rural property and I made sure I put both of them on there to cut the theft down. And I've never had any problems knock on wood. And, and generally they say, if they see those two things presence, they will stay away from the property. Uh, lock past, uh, pastures, avoid using roadside feeding and loading pins. Uh, naturally keep your fences up, maintain your fences. Suspicious activity. I can't tell you how many people have said that they saw something suspicious and they never recorded anything about the vehicle or the people that they saw. Um, we always say keep a notepad and a pin in your vehicle. And if you notice something suspicious, it doesn't hurt to write down a, a plate number, description of the vehicle and description of the people in that vehicle. You may never use it, but if the time comes where you find out your neighbors or yourself have been victimized, that's a good time to, to be able to uh, take out that record of the date and the time and the people that you saw. And it might come in handy for us. It would be invaluable to have a plate number. And uh, look for people scouting from the road. Naturally, if you see somebody that isn't from your area and they're, they're looking over your herd, uh, that would be important to take that information on those people as well. Prevention, buying, and selling. You want to know who you're dealing with when you're, when you're selling um, and, and buying uh, in both, both respects. Um, handshakes and verbal agreements don't always work. Be suspicious of ads on Craigslist sites and Facebook sites. Uh, we have an awful lot of uh, theft and fraud on Craigslist and Facebook and other social media sites uh, for sales. Be suspicious of somebody list a PO box number. Uh, not many people that are honestly involved in the in, in uh, business like this or using PO box numbers and confirm vet checks. Uh, is it a, le a legit vet check? So. Uh, we want to know the true county you herd. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't even know that. Uh, check your cattle regularly. Uh, we have people that have herds in places other than their home and they can't even tell us the last time they've checked on them and be able to ID your cattle, uh, brands, tattoos, ear tags, unique color or hair patterns. This is all kind of no brainer stuff, but uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't utilize some of those very simple things. Uh, written contracts versus verbal agreements. Uh, a written contract is always better in the long run. Uh, we want to get, uh, get paid before any cattle are loaded. Uh, we don't generally do it on, uh, on word or uh, on a good faith there. And with checks, if you accept a check, you want to call the bank uh, to make sure it can be cashed, make sure it's not a counterfeit check. And uh, this will uh, not prevent a stop check maneuver. So just make sure that you check in with the, with the bank when you receive a check for a large amount. Okay, I'm sorry, we're kind of flying through this, but I've got an awful lot of slides. So when we get to some of the other parts, I'll slow down a little bit. Drugs and rural crimes. Um, most property crimes in rural Missouri are committed to feed the use of illegal drugs. I would say, I, I, I couldn't even hang a percentage on this, but we were talking about it before the meeting in the group that I'm in the room with here. And, and drugs are driving most of our crime. And the nine years that I've worked homicide investigations, I've got one homicide that wasn't drug related. Um, and a lot of that goes with the theft. Uh, they're feeding their drug habit. Uh, they can uh, take property that they steal and quickly turn it into cash, which can be traded for drugs. They'll either sell it or trade it for drugs. Uh, drugs and property crimes are considered nonviolent. Um, yeah, they, they, generally that, that's 
true as far as a property crime goes, but it can turn violent as, as the uh, steps go down in the drug sales and things like that. And the risk of getting caught is generally not a concern to the suspects. They, they feel pretty comfortable that they can get away with these thefts and uh, they usually do their scouting and, and, uh, and uh, have watchers and have people help them with it. So, uh, Meth, everybody knows about meth. Methamphetamine is a drug of choice in the rural areas. We're still fighting this meth problem. Uh, several years ago, we took steps to uh, cut down on the production of meth by limiting pseudoephedrine, where they couldn't make their meth anymore. The problem is, is now they're bringing that uh, meth in from out of state. Um, uh, Kansas City is a pretty big hub for meth. Uh, down south is a pretty good hub for meth. And so while the production of meth has been cut down, uh, the purchasing of meth is not. People are still using it. Problem is that price has went up now when you cut down the production. And so people are naturally stealing to feed that meth habit. Okay, everybody's seen these pictures. They're all over the internet. You can, you can find hundreds of these, but uh, it just shows a little bit about the damage that meth does to people. Um, and I think even people that are not even in law enforcement nowadays can see someone that's under the influence of meth and have a pretty good idea what they're looking at. Um, even my family and friends say that person looks like they're on meth. Now, I've seen enough of them. I can usually confirm that and tell them they're probably right. But you can, you can see that look in the eyes. You can see that look about a person uh, that they're using. It's an incredible transformation uh, for somebody that's using that drug. So, uh, Another big problem, opioids are uh, generally prescribed to treat pain. Now, people are abusing opioids bad. Uh, they're addictive and often misused. This is one of the biggest epidemics facing our communities and law enforcement today. Uh, misuse of pain medications has fueled the need for alternative site uh, or street drugs such as heroin. Um, we have a lot in our rural communities. I've worked a lot of thefts where someone will come up to your door and ask to use the bathroom. And then when they're in the bathroom, they'll go through your, your medicine cabinet to try to obtain drugs. They're relentless. And the addiction to opioids is, uh, I, I, I haven't even really seen it in other drugs that somebody that gets addicted to these drugs, how badly they want that drug. Um, it's very, very addictive, and they'll do about anything to get them. So, um, Just a figure from the CDC, 91 Americans die every day from opioid overdoses uh, in the United States, and I think our next slide even goes a little further into that. Um, six people try heroin for the first time each day in our country. Heroin is the next stepping stone for people that are addicted to opioids. Many times they'll get addicted to opioids. They'll want a, a stronger high. They'll want a harder high. They'll look towards heroin. So 600 people a day. Or, or trying heroin for the first time in the United States. 4,000 people misuse someone else's prescription medications every day. And research shows that two out of five teenagers have experimented with prescription medications. Uh, on average, one person dies every 15 minutes from the use of opioids. We actually had a conversation one time um, and the research was showing that there were parties out there for high school age kids where they would bring prescription medication from their family's homes, pour it in a big melting pot bowl, and then everybody would grab a handful of it. Um, and uh, what a dangerous thought that that is, that that's facing our, our youth today, that they're actually doing those kind of things. But unfortunately, it's a, it's a growing problem for law enforcement and, and the people of Missouri. So. Uh, this just breaks down the opioid use in the United States. Uh, while we account for 5% of the world's population, we account for 80% of the world's opioid painkillers and 99% of the world's Vicodin. So we are a big consumer of these, of these drugs, uh, both legally and illegally, unfortunately. Um, this is the only state in the nation that doesn't have a prescription drug monitoring uh, program. So um, yeah, we're kind of... Uh, kind of alone in this fight against prescription pills and particularly finding out who's taking them and how many are being prescribed. 
Uh, Missouri is the only state in the country without a prescription drug monitoring program. For every 100 citizens in our state, there are 95.2 prescriptions for opioid pain medication. Um, I pose that question to my friends and generally, biggest part of them don't currently take any opioids or any are prescribed any. So you can imagine that 95.2 prescriptions for every 100 citizens, there's an awful lot of multiple prescriptions, a ton of multiple prescriptions uh, for one or two citizens there uh, that are bringing the numbers up. Nearly every heroin user started with a prescription pain medication addiction, just like I said earlier. Okay, let's see what goes on in this slide. Uh, oh, okay, this is just a breakdown um, of uh, what feels good. There's a dopamine release in your brain that basically tells you uh, how you how you uh, how you experience joy in your life. And this is just an example of some of the things: food, sex, nicotine, cocaine, where that uh, relates to dopamine release in your brain. Again, dopamine is your ability to feel enjoyment, to to feel uh, happiness in your brain. And you can see what heroin does. The problem that happens is, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with the next slide, but the problem happens is, is that dopamine release and the use of some of these drugs fries that dopamine receptor in your brain, which makes it difficult to feel that, that happiness again. And so they're constantly chasing a high. If you hear somebody talking about chasing a high, they're constantly trying to get as happy or as excited or as fulfilled as they were on the last time they took that drug. And what happens is, is when we talk about people seeing meth users and some of these heroin users and how they have that particular look, a lot of times the happiness is just drained out of their face. It's because they're chasing a high that they can never catch because what they've done is they've fried those dopamine receptors to the point where they can never feel that happiness again, uh, no matter how much drug they take. So just a little bit of the, the, the physical portions of drug use. So we jump right back into metal theft here. Uh, and again, this is probably one of our most common thefts for feeding the drug problem. Metal theft, metal theft has become a widespread problem across our nation. The theft of metal and other materials from construction sites, power transfer stations, vacant properties, farms, and highway and roadways is a large problem and is growing. If you haven't had uh, metal taken from your um, farm or your property and you maybe don't know of anybody that has, I'd be surprised. I would say everybody out there has either been a victim or knows somebody that's been a victim of metal theft. Common factors in this, it's the thief's quick need for money for drugs. Uh, like we talked about earlier, they're stealing this metal for, for a quick turnaround so they can pay for their drugs. Scrap metal redemption prices, uh, it depends on the value of scrap metal at the time, but sometimes you can tell when copper prices go up, there's a lot more theft naturally involved in it. Most victims are easy targets. Um, these are in areas where they can get into and out of pretty quickly. Generally, people aren't secure in those, those properties and uh, multiple options for sale are easily fenced. They have a lot of places they can liquidate, liquidate this metal and a lot of places that they can, uh, they can make a quick, quick sale on it. Um, we, a good example here, gentleman that was caught on surveillance camera, kind of a gory picture, but what they're doing is they're breaking into these sites and they're cutting copper wire that's sometimes live. This gentleman did that. That's a picture of him on surveillance camera before. And I think this was a theft from a cell phone tower location where he was cutting some big electric line uh, with a set, set of uh, um, wire cutters, basically, and um, got into the live wire. They just don't think so. Uh, equipment theft. We have a lot of equipment theft. I worked a ton of this when I worked with rural crimes out on the road. Equipment theft occurs during all the hours of the day. They're very brazen. They'll walk in, in the middle of the day and take something. Generally, if they act like they know what they're doing, some people don't ask any questions. So if somebody sees them uh, loading a tractor up or loading a four-wheeler up or a side-by-side -side up, uh, there's not a lot of questions asked of them why they're there. 
includes anything from small trailers to large industrial machinery. Thefts are often calculated and the stolen items are taken to a predetermined location to elude law enforcement. There's a lot of planning involved in this. And generally what we find is because of the use of surveillance cameras, people are stealing trucks and trailers for the purpose of stealing equipment. So we can get a truck on camera stealing a piece of equipment and it, it probably more than likely was stolen as well. So many thieves are skilled in quickly changing the appearance of the stolen items and removing identification numbers. They know what we're looking for. Uh, they know how to hide that, that piece of equipment that we can't detect, uh, detect it uh, when found later on. So good example of a VIN plate or a serial number plate taken off a piece of equipment, basically drilled out the rivet holes there and took that metal plate off. Okay, uh, the gentleman that put this PowerPoint together usually talks more in depth about this. I wish I could, but I do know the, the high end of it. They had this stolen in a rural part of Northern Missouri, this piece of equipment, and it was actually recovered in Italy. It's put on a, on a shipping container or on a boat and transferred overseas. So um, these pieces of equipment don't always just land in the neighboring county. Uh, a good example of how elaborate and to what means they go through uh, to, um, to commit a theft and make money. Okay, if you can see there on the PowerPoint, it's pretty tough to see, but that's a cloned and restamped pin number. Uh, you can see up above, uh, they used a sander or some sort of a equipment to obliterate the stamp number previous and put a new one on there. Uh, that was only uncovered when we stripped back the paint from the uh, piece of equipment, so. Talking about securing that property, we talked earlier about interviews that I've done with people in prisons and in jails that have been committed of uh, are convicted of uh, thefts or been arrested for thefts and some of the things that they look for. Uh, this is just some of the uh, information that we have about their forced entry and the thefts that they're committing. Six out of 10 burglaries have no sign of forced entry. That means that there's unlocked buildings uh, and open doors and open gates that they're able to, to walk right into and commit these thefts. So the importance of putting gates and locking doors is paramount in, uh, in combating rural theft. An estimated 45% uh, of victims in theft cases knew the suspect. Most of the time these people were on that farm before, were uh, maybe a friend of a, of, a, of a person that's been on that farm before, but they have uh, intimate knowledge of where they're going to steal these items. Be aware of things such as fuel cost, inventory, and employee or family members who suddenly have extra money. If you have workers working for you, we worked a large chemical theft in one of the areas, wine countries here, uh, where the gentleman that was slowly skimming chemicals off uh, for wine production. And I think it was to the tune of about $130,000 worth of chemicals. Uh, and just noticed after a pattern of years that his chemical cost were just not getting any better, getting worse and worse, and found out that he was purchasing chemicals in the name of the farmer and, and slowly stealing them out from underneath him. So communicate with your neighbors. Uh, if you don't know your neighbors well, get to know them and have them on speed dial if they see something just like before where you write down a plate and write down a description of somebody, uh, have that level of communication with your neighbors. If you see something that's going on at your neighbor's property, uh, any good neighbor is not gonna have a problem if you make a call and see if everything's okay and if that was going on uh, with their permission. So like we said before, routinely take stock of your equipment and your livestock, uh, check on them often. Isolated areas are appealing to criminals. They love somewhere that they can't be seen uh, and they don't like surveillance cameras. And again, they don't like lock gates and note tag numbers from strange vehicles. Like I said, keep a pen and a paper in your vehicle when you're patrolling or driving on your county roads. So identify your assets. Assets should be identified, inventory, and monitored as closely as possible. 
Too many victims are unable to provide information such as what is missing, description of missing items, serial numbers, and date when the items were missing. Normally when I give this program in front of people, I say how many people have uh, guns in their house and I usually get probably 90 to 95% of hands raising it. And I say, how many people have the numbers for those guns written down somewhere where if they get stolen, we can get the numbers entered. And I'm lucky if I have 50% of those people that still have their hand up. So um, take record, you know, we got all got cell phones, we all have digital cameras. Um, take pictures of your equipment, take care of pictures of your valuables, take pictures of your weapons. Um, and then particularly take close-ups of those serial numbers on all those items and uh, keep it on a file on your computer and a thumb drive in your desk. And then that way, if you get an item stolen, we can at least have a number to go by because if we have a gun stolen and there's no serial numbers to it, it's very, very difficult to recover. And we've actually just recently, I worked a case where we recovered 127 stolen firearms at a home of a man. And uh, they were, I bet we probably returned maybe 10% of those guns to the owners. The rest we knew were stolen, but we had no way of uh, getting them back to the rightful owners because they, uh, nobody had any numbers on any of their guns and couldn't describe them. So lock it up, provide sheds or fenced areas uh, for the storage of equipment materials and those things considered assets or valuable items. Can't tell you enough times, uh, just lock them up with a gate, lock up the building. It's a short amount of time for you to have to unlock your gates or your buildings. Uh, to keep uh, a criminal from just walking out with something. Lock chains, gates, doors, and remove all keys from vehicles. Vehicles are the mode of transportation for nearly every rural crime. So don't let them come in with a truck back up to your shed and, um, and load up your chainsaw and your brush cutter and everything else that you've got in there. Keep equipment and property stored in a location that is not visible from the roadway. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, um prone to just take advantage of the easy opportunities. So if they're driving around and see something, or if one of their friends is driving around and see something, uh, that might just draw their attention to do a little bit closer looking on your property. So if you can keep that away from uh, the site from the road, you'll be better off. In addition to lock it up, we have light it up. Uh, criminals hate lights, uh, whether that's a solid burning light or a motion uh, light. A properly lit area can act as an effective deterrent to criminal activity. Well-lit areas should include any offices, equipment, and grain storage areas, and also vehicle parking. Motion-sensitive lighting is very effective and should be used throughout, especially in isolated areas away from public view. They hate getting lit up. They'd like to work with just their flashlight. And if you have something that lights up their movements, uh, they normally get nervous and get out. Surveillance equipment. Uh, you can get good surveillance equipment uh, that doesn't cost you a ton anymore. They're getting a lot more effective. And if you're tech savvy enough, you can get that surveillance equipment. If you have the ability to hook that up to Wi-Fi, you can actually have that sent to your phone in many instances. But they are effective deterrent to criminal activity. Uh, familiarize yourself with the equipment and ensure it's in good working order. We've had a lot of people that had surveillance equipment that when they went back to their hard drive, it's not actually working. Um, so it did us no good. Uh, having said that, even having a camera on a corner of a building, though, is very effective. Uh, we have even people that hang dummy cameras up in their buildings. Uh, maybe even they don't have electric to that building, but a lot of them are powered off a little AA battery that show a red light to the front, and they look pretty realistic. And sometimes that's just enough to turn a, turn a criminal uh, to walk the other way. So uh, you want to pay attention if you do put a working camera up, that they are in a location and they have a view that's adequate to make a good identification on someone that would be breaking into the property. We've had cameras in some locations that just were pointed at trees, did us no good when we actually looked at the video. Okay, here's an example. Um, it's quite a ways away from the equipment. This wouldn't be a terrible video surveillance example, 
but it is pretty foggy and uh, pretty fuzzy. And so uh, sometimes we can get vehicle make. I think the next one may have that. Now go to the next one, I think, actually. There, that would be, you know, with the toolboxes in the back and there's some identifying marks on the truck, that would be very handy. These are basically three examples of not the best video surveillance cameras that are out there. We'll take whatever we can get, but there are some that would show the license plate from this location. So they're getting better all the time. So I would recommend you do some research on video surveillance systems and, uh, and see what you can uh, come up with for your property. There's another example. So, okay. Talk about how they get rid of items for drug sales. I had a recovered an $11,000 side-by-side from a gentleman that sold it to a meth supplier in Kansas City, and he got $500 for that piece of equipment. I would question you on what you think this thing is worth here. Just say that to yourself, what you think this tractor is worth, and then we'll tell you what they got for it on the next slide. $3,500, it was a $29,000 tractor. So we'll go to the next slide, just an example. What do you think that is worth? If you said that to yourself, and the next slide. Paid $500. I got $500 for that lawnmower. I'd, it says $13,000. I don't know. I'm sure it was up there. I don't know the exact amount, but I'm going to trust him with the 13000 If you drive by a property and you see this, <laughs> that's probably a pretty good idea. There's something underneath there that you need to, need to take note of. Um, that is an example of a piece of recovered equipment uh, that we actually found in that condition. Another one. I don't know who parks it like that, but a little mini excavator. I doesn't really serve as a lean-to as far as I'm concerned. Okay, we're going to get into this just a little bit. This delves away from rural crime just a little bit. We talk, we like to visit on the Missouri Castle Doctrine. A lot of people have questions about if somebody breaks into my property and I have a firearm, what I can do about that. Um, the statute allows citizens to use physical force upon another person when to the extent he or she reasonably believes such force is necessary to defend himself or herself or a third person from what he or she reasonably believes to be the use or imminent use of unlawful force by such other person. We highlight in bold, we at least got it capitalized reasonably, and we'll talk about reasonably here in just a little bit. So that's the definition. It does allow for the use of force against persons who unlawfully enters or remains after entering a residence or vehicle lawfully occupied by a person using force. So they enter force to enter the building where someone is or a vehicle where someone is. You do not have to be the owner of that property. If you're in the property or in the vehicle, you do not have to own it. And you must be there under the authority of the person who owns the property. So you break into somebody's house and somebody breaks into that house, you're not covered. So if you're allowed to be in there, it's a different story. The person using force must reasonably believe the force is justified to protect him or herself or another person against death, serious physical injury, or any forcible felony. So you have to reasonably believe that that person is going to cause physical injury, serious physical injury or death to you or someone else in that house. Person does not have the duty to retreat from the residence, vehicle or property when they have the right to be there. So you don't have to run away, basically. It's a simple layman's terms for what that means. A person using force must stop when they believe there is no longer a threat. So once you stop the threat, you need to stop the use of force. What does this mean? This is a question we get a lot. You cannot use deadly force against a person who's carrying a toolbox from your machine shed. If they're there to steal from you, you cannot use deadly force. That is not covered by the Missouri Castle Doctrine. You cannot use deadly force against an elderly woman who appears lost and confused who is trying to unlock the front door of your home. You have to be able to 
say that you physically, you believe there was going to be serious physical injury or death to the person that's in the house from the person that's trying to enter the residence. Any use of force must pass the test of reasonableness. What would be a reasonable person believe if they were put in that situation? It allows for the use of force in defense of persons, but it does not allow for the use of force in defense of your property. Okay. We're going to talk just a little bit about this, and then I think we're going to kind of wrap it up and open it up for any questions that anybody would have. Um, we put out rural crimes bulletins. So if there's thefts in a particular area, it can be triggered not only from a law enforcement agent, agent or agency within that area, but it also can be triggered by an individual. Uh, email rural crimes at this email address here, and we're going to leave it up for a while if you want to write it down. This telephone number is very, very important, Doc Town, 888-848-8477 or TIPS to request bulletins for dissemination in your area, or if you need any type of help with a criminal investigation involving rural crimes. Um, I might go back to that one just real quick. There we go. Nope, that's okay. Uh, we have not only law enforcement sensitive bulletins, which just go out to law enforcement officers, and that's normally triggered by a law, law enforcement agency, but also we have public awareness bulletins, and that goes out to the general public. Uh, but I would, I would encourage you to write down that email address, write down that telephone number, Put it on a magnet on your refrigerator along with the kid, pictures of your grandkids. And if you have some sort of problem, you can call that number. That number will know how to get a hold of the criminal, the rural crimes criminal investigator in that area. One of our first steps that we will do is we will contact the sheriff's department or the municipality in the area where the crime occurred, and we will talk to them about the crime. We'll get them involved. We don't do anything without the involvement of the sheriff's department or the uh, or the police department in the area. So. Um, and just a little bit of tooting our own horn, we'll flip to the next, next page. Uh, October 28, 2014, the Rural Crimes Investigative Unit was uh, recognized and the recipient of the International Association of Chiefs of Police Thompson Reuters Award for Excellence in Criminal Investigations. Uh, that is a big um, worldwide award for our approach to rural crimes enforcement and the results that we were getting for some of the things that we were doing. So. Uh, my name is Sergeant Darren Hoslog. I can sure help you with rural crimes if something comes up, mainly by pointing you in the direction of the right guy to talk to, but I also have done a few, uh, still continue to help with rural crimes. But again, there's that telephone number, there's that email address, uh, jot those down. And um, if all else fails and you don't get these jotted down now, contact the Missouri State Highway Patrol at any of the numbers in the area you live and tell them that you'd like to talk to the rural crimes investigator and they will get you in touch with somebody. So. All right, thank you very much. Uh, we have a question from uh, Denny, Denny Mertz from St. Louis County. Denny, can, uh, uh, can you go ahead and, and give your question? No, I don't have a question. Sorry, Blake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just make one up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we thought your phone was on. I'm sorry, Denny. All right. Do, do you guys handle, like, trespass incidents, and is that a – is that a, you know, a continuing problem? Yeah, we have a lot of trespassing, especially during hunting season. We seem like we get a good lot of calls for that. But I will tell you, because of the quick response on trespassing calls, that is best to go through the sheriff's department. Uh, because we, like, for instance, we cover, when I used to do it, we had 15 counties that I would cover, and I was centrally located. So if we want a quick response out there for a trespassing call, it's better not to even involve the patrol in that necessarily and call the sheriff's department, get somebody out there to get them while they're on your property. And that's true with any crime that you see occurring. Uh, but normally, if we're involved in trespassing, that trespassing has led to another crime that's occurred uh, along with the trespassing. So, All 
All right, thank you. Uh, if you're watching, you can ask a question by typing the question on Zoom, um, by uh, hitting star nine on your telephone, uh, or on Facebook by uh, sending a question there at the Facebook. Uh, there's a little delay with the Facebook feed, so it might take a second. Uh, we have a, a question from uh, Jim DePriest from Platte County. How significant is mental illness uh, with uh, crime in rural areas? I can't say that I got a lot to speak to as far as mental illness playing a role. I'd, I'd say, and it depends on how liberal you want to be about the use of drugs. I mean, the drug, the drug, using the drugs, being under the influence of drugs, being dependent on drugs is uh, probably more prevalent in driving rural crime than anything. Um, but no, I, I can't really say that I can speak to mental illness necessarily having a correlation with increased rural crimes. All right. Are there any other questions? You've got to tell us the story of your best day working rural crime. Okay. Well, I was sharing this with them earlier. We, we worked down in Morgan County with the good guys down in Morgan County Sheriff's uh, Office, and uh, we had a tractor thief that was uh, going around and basically trading meth to young kids for stealing his wish list of tractors and other equipment. And uh, I had an opportunity to interview him prior to Christmas. I think it was the 23rd of December uh, that particular year. And uh, part of the part of what I worked out with him was that if he was honest with me and helped me recover and get back all the equipment to the farmers that he had taken tractors from and side by sides and trailers from that I wouldn't take him to jail until after Christmas. And in that particular time, we spent uh, Christmas Eve delivering tractors back to to area farmers. And I actually figured he taken them with some fuel in the tank. So on the way back to taking them back, I made him fill them up with fuel, which I thought was kind of a cool move. So everybody that got their tractor back, got a full, full tank of fuel with it. And uh, I actually kind of took a snapshot with my phone of the guy filling the tanks up and sent it to my buddies at work and said, well, this is a new one. I'm got him actually putting fuel back in the tanks of the tractors. So that was probably my best day. I didn't wear a red hat with a ball on the end, like everybody thought I should, but, but I had it in spirit. Let's put it that way. So. All right. Uh, I had a question from Southeast Missouri. There's been a rash of uh, Starfire uh, GPS receiver thefts down there in that part of the state. Have you have you seen that in other areas of the state? I can't say I have. No, no, right, I haven't. I haven't. Hopefully, uh, and, and it was what area was it? In Southeast Missouri. Southeast Missouri. Missouri. Okay, yeah, they, uh, that would be something that hopefully I can make a make a call out to our rural crimes investigator down that way and see what they know about it. But no, not not up here. All right, any other questions? Okay, well, we thank you, uh, Sergeant Hosluck, and uh, appreciate your um, your presentation. It was very helpful and very uh, a lot of information there. Um, we want to say thanks to all the speakers in our four sessions today, and thanks to everybody who has joined uh, our commodity conference this evening and throughout the day. Uh, we'll start at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and the next session, and uh, it will be Livestock and Grain Market Outlook, uh, and it'll be given by Dr. Seth Meyer with Fapley. Uh, so again, thanks to uh, Darren Hasleck, thanks to uh, Ben and Chloe, our 